Welcome back to the Big Amateurism Monologues. My name is Richard Ford and I'm your host. Just a quick reminder that all of my podcast materials can be found at my podcast website, and that is bigamateurism.com. You can also find me on the major third-party podcast directories like Apple and Spotify. And if you want to reach out to me, shoot me an email at rich at cagerredux.com. It's R-I-C-H at C-A-G-E-R-R-E-D-U-X.com. All right, today is August 2nd, 2023, and I really felt the need to get up an episode to talk about some recent activity in Congress that's really important and potentially game-changing. And over the last two weeks, four new proposals have been put on the table in Congress, a couple in final form as official proposals, and then a couple that are discussion drafts being circulated among stakeholders. We don't know who those stakeholders are, but uh, they're being circulated for comment and, uh, and feedback. So I really want to talk about one of these bills because I believe it's a perfect case study into how the NCAA and Power Five and their lobbyists and lawyers have been so successful in their congressional campaign, which really began in 2019, to frame the issues from the very beginning around NCAA Power Five values and business needs, and then how they have also been successful in pulling critics of the business model towards the NCAA Power Five side of the fence. And the bill that I want to talk about is a discussion draft put out on July 20th, just 12 days ago, by Senators Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, and Jerry Moran, Republican from Kansas. This is a really important proposal because I think it may move the needle on the possibility of Congress actually jumping in here and legislating in a substantive way in the actual regulation of college sports. And I mentioned many times before that Congress has traditionally been reluctant to get involved at this level, and they've encouraged the the decision makers, the NCAA, the Power Five, other stakeholders to kind of work it out amongst themselves because the NCAA has this massive regulatory apparatus through its national office. And Congress has, I think, been really shy to take over the business of college sports. But that's precisely what the NCAA and Power Five are asking for so that they can cement in their business model, their regulatory authority, and their compensation limits at the federal level. One of the most important questions in this entire debate, and I've talked about this from the very beginning. In fact, I've themed this podcast and this new project that uh, I'm working on here around the central question of who gets to decide. And when you look honestly at what the NCAA and Power Five have been asking for from the very beginning, back to their first engagement with Congress, really in 2019, and then the, the hearings in 2020 in a Republican-controlled Senate, you can see how important that issue is to the NCAA. And I, I've made the observation that this whole discussion isn't necessarily just about whether or how much athletes should be paid or what additional protections and benefits that they should have. It's about who gets to decide. And the NCAA and Power Five have built their entire congressional campaign around eliminating any potential competitors to that central question. They want to eliminate state legislatures through preemption. They want to eliminate federal courts through antitrust immunity. They want to eliminate the possibility of athletes as employees and gaining the ability to engage in collective bargaining. All three of those go to the central question of who gets to decide. And if the NCAA and Power Five get those things in some combination, now or in the future, 
the only regulators left standing are the NCAA and the Power Five. A lot of these bills that have been introduced, either those that are clearly uh, in the tank for the NCAA and Power Five, or those that are perceived to be more athlete-friendly, have to deal with that issue. In some of the more draconian bills, like the Rubio bill that came out in June of 2020, or the Ted Cruz bill, which was just released last week as a discussion draft, they solved that question of who gets to decide by basically just bringing in the nuclear bomb and having those three provisions. I call them the three death provisions, uh, preemption, antitrust immunity, athletes can't be employees. They just put those out there really in a naked power grab without any discussion about any other issues that Congress could be looking at now to bring this business model into the 21st century. So that's the clean and easy way from the NCAA and Power 5 standpoint. The other way, that these bills address the question of who gets to decide is through the creation of a federal entity. It could be a special commission. It could be an office of the Federal Trade Commission, or it could just run through the Federal Trade Commission. It could be a federal corporation, or it could just be the wholesale incorporation of the NCAA bureaucracy by name. And in all those bills that have some type of third-party entity that is created or that would be put under an existing federal agency. A key question is who sits on those decision-making boards? Who's going to be making the ultimate decisions? What is the discretion that they have? What's their scope of authority? And are there any checks on that decision-making authority? And in order to understand how this new bill proposal came into existence and and why it's structured the way it is. You have to understand how important these decision makers are in, in the congressional debate. You also have to understand the history of the legislation that they have proposed. And you have Moran on one side, the Republican, and then you have Booker and Blumenthal, Democrats on the other. And the prior bills that they introduced are on opposite ends of the earth. They are literally in in different universes on the central question of who gets to decide. And when you look at the federal entity that they've set up, and they both use a federal corporation, which is a creature of Congress, and Congress can tailor that federal corporation any way they want. Federal corporations are not new. They have features of public entities and private entities. The U.S. Post Office, for example, is a federal corporation. But Congress can create a federal corporation. There's very little oversight of federal corporations. But on a federal corporation, there has to be a governing body. There has to be a decision-making body, a board of governors, a board of directors. And when you look at the Moran bill, a prior bill that he introduced in 2021, He has NCAA Power 5 insiders sitting in those decision-making chairs. So basically, his bill would replicate the NCAA bureaucracy, not outright, but indirectly, in terms of the criteria for the kind of people that are allowed to sit on the board of directors of this federal corporation. On the other end of the earth, (laughs) in another universe, you have the Booker-Blumenthal proposals. There was one that they released in 2020, then they re-released it in 2022. I'm going to talk about all three of these bills together a little bit. I'm going to try to keep it as general as I can and only hit the highlights because it's really confusing. I've laid down all four of these bills, the Moran bill, the initial bill, the two initial Booker-Blumenthal bills, and then this new bill that came out 10 days ago. And I have color-coded them. I've looked at how they're similar, how they're different. And it really tells an interesting story here. On the Booker-Blumenthal end, on the question of who gets to decide, their federal corporation 
would be made up primarily of athletes, former athletes. A majority of that board would have to be athletes, and they specifically exclude any NCAA Power 5 institutional decision maker from sitting on that board. And the reason that they did that is that the whole purpose of their legislation was to address some of the important civil rights issues and to take the people who created this mess, who have been exploiting athletes and who have been tone deaf to the racial implications of their business model, to take them off the table, just not allow them to have a seat at the table or to impose their will with the power and authority of the federal government. And this new proposal that came out just on July 20th, kind of a kumbaya, bipartisan face, it, it's trying to reconcile the irreconcilable. And essentially, it's a cut and paste job. So it, it takes provisions from the Moran Bill in 2021 and then the Booker Blumenthal Athletes Bill of Rights bills from 2020 and 2022 and tries to create a unified whole. And it doesn't work. You have to go one way or the other. And when we break down this new proposal, you're going to see the extent to which it really defers to the Jerry Moran NCAA Power Five way of thinking on the question of who gets to decide. So I just want to make a couple of observations on the importance of these three particular senators being involved in putting together a bipartisan bill. And they've really been some of the most important advocates in this entire debate. It's so important that they are in the Senate and that two of the three have close ties to the Senate Commerce Committee. The Senate Commerce Committee is where this discussion began in 2020. It's where it's going to end in 2023 or 2024. And the reason that it is the most important committee in all of Congress is that it has frontline jurisdiction over sports-related matters. And most of the hearings that have been conducted so far, there have been eight hearings since February of 2020, have been conducted in Senate Commerce or one in a subcommittee of Senate Commerce. Jerry Moran sits on the Commerce Committee, and he has been carrying the NCAA Power Five's bags on their engagement in Congress from the very beginning. In fact, he chaired the subcommittee in Commerce that held that very first hearing on February 11th of 2020 that was so effective in setting the NCAA Power Five narratives into the congressional debate. It was a loaded hearing, five witnesses for the NCAA and Power Five, one witness for the athletes. And they really, at that point, through that hearing, kind of commandeered this whole nil discussion and framed it around NCAA Power Five values. And when the Democrats tried to respond to that, for example, through the Booker Blumenthal bills, the Athletes' Bill of Rights bills, they were on defense and they were just trying to catch up. That is such an important dynamic. I've talked about it quite a bit in other episodes. Having the advantage of setting the narrative from the very beginning really can be outcome determinative in any engagement with Congress. And of course, the NCAA and Power Five have the most powerful lobbying firms in Washington, D.C. working for them. So it really hasn't been a fair fight in terms of the firepower and the motivation of the two sets of interests, one NCAA Power Five, one athlete friendly. But Richard Blumenthal was on the Commerce Committee until January of 2023. He's no longer there. Cory Booker is not on the Commerce Committee, but he has been influential and he's been talking to Moran. He's been talking to Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, also an important figure in all this. But the future of college sports is going to run through the Commerce Committee. And this new proposal really heats up the discussion in the Senate. This is where the rubber is going to meet the road. And we've had a number of bills kind of tossed into the hopper over the last 
three months, some from the House, some from, I think, less influential senators. But this one's important because this really moves the ball forward, I think, to Congress actually jumping in and and doing something. The Senate went into recess just a couple of days ago, and there's been a lot of talk about what might happen on the backside of the recess when they return in September. A lot of the folks that I've been talking to say that you're going to see a really powerful push by the NCAA and Power Five to get something moving to have an actual bill debated in committee and then perhaps presented to the full Senate. One of the interesting features about this whole campaign so far is that we've had all these bills proposed, but we haven't had a single discussion on a specific bill in a committee. The discussions have been really at the 30,000-foot level about the values of college sports, and it's been built almost exclusively around NCAA mythology and protecting their business interests. There's been very little actual fact-finding on the issues that are most important. So I just want to talk real quickly about what the Commerce Committee looks like right now. There are 27 members, 14 Democrats, 13 Republicans. The Democrats are in control. The chair of the Commerce Committee is Maria Cantwell, a Democrat from Washington. I've talked about her quite a bit. She is a really important player here. And in my judgment, having broken down all of the hearings and paid very close attention to them, she's persuadable. And I know that Jerry Moran has been in her ear. Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, who used to be the chair of the Commerce Committee, then when the Democrats controlled the Senate. He became the ranking member, the number one Republican. And then after the midterm elections, he gave up his ranking member seat to Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas. But you have had these people in Maria Cantwell's ear. And in my judgment, she has been very deferential to the way that the Jerry Moran's and Roger Wickers and Ted Cruz's see this discussion. And when you look at the Democrat members, there's really not a power player on athletes' rights. You know, Blumenthal's gone. He was it. You have a bunch of people who I think could be persuadable. And I have said, as this congressional debate has evolved, that because of the gender equity issues that I've talked quite a bit about and the fear-mongering and the suggestion that if we do anything to protect the interests of profit athletes in Power 5 football and men's basketball, then that will necessarily mean that we're somehow harming the financial or equity interests of female athletes. That's a powerful dynamic. And there are some, what I would say, are moderate Democrat women on the Commerce Committee who could be influenced by that kind of thinking. But when you look at the Republican side of those 13 people, You've got some of the most powerful and persistent advocates for NCAA interests in this entire debate. So you have Ted Cruz, and he released a discussion draft last week that is just almost as bad as the Marco Rubio bill. Rubio, Republican from Florida, introduced that naked power grab in June of 2020. The Cruz bill does the exact same thing. John Thune, Republican from South Dakota, has been a reliable bagman for the NCAA and Power Five. He's everywhere. He and Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, introduced a bill that would strip the nonprofit name, image, and likeness collectives of their nonprofit status because they don't think they're legitimately engaging in nonprofit activity. Then you've got Roger Wicker, although he's not a ranking member, he is still on that committee. He has introduced two bills, one in 2020, and then he re-released it in 2022, that is almost as bad as the Rubio and Cruz bills. Actually, it's worse because the second bill he introduced in, in 2022 had retroactive antitrust immunity. He's bad news for the athletes. Then you have Jerry Moran. And 
in terms of what Moran wants in federal legislation, what he has wanted all along is very similar to what Wicker has wanted. And Moran's been a, a point person on this. And then we have Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, who has been a critic of Mark Emmert, but she's going to be in the power fivefold. And she's going to be a very, very important person here because she, as a woman, she has really dedicated herself to looking into these issues. And I think a lot of women on the Commerce Committee and throughout the Senate are going to listen to what Senator Blackburn has to say. And she also has introduced a bill I'm going to talk about here in a little bit that really targeted the NCAA's corrupt infractions and an enforcement process. And it's relevant to this discussion because of some of the features of this new bill, this new compromise bill that Booker Blumenthal and Moran put out. So when you look at the Commerce Committee now, it is stacked, and I mean stacked, in favor of NCAA Power 5 advocates. So what I want to do right now is just a quick tour of the Booker Blumenthal Athletes Bill of Rights bill that came out in December of 2020, then talk about the Moran Bill from February of 2021, then the Athletes Bill of Rights re-release in August of 2022 as the foundation for this compromise bill that was put together and released 10 days ago. So with the first Athletes Bill of Rights that came out in December of 2020, that was co-sponsored by Blumenthal Booker and then some other Democrat senators. This bill only had Democrat sponsorship. It was not a bipartisan bill. But this bill was really a response to the momentum that was building in the Senate beginning really in 2019, but then with that first hearing in February of 2020 in the Senate Commerce towards the NCAA and Power Five getting everything they wanted without having to talk about any issues other than quote-unquote nil, and nil was a Trojan horse. Nil compensation was just an excuse for the NCAA and Power Five to get in front of Congress to ask for these three extraordinary federal protections and immunities that would be unprecedented in college sports, actually in all of sports. It was just a breathtaking power grab here. But at a July 22nd hearing in Judiciary in the Senate, chaired by Lindsey Graham, South Carolina Republican, Booker and Blumenthal both looked at what was happening and said, wait a minute, there's a problem here. We're talking about this narrow set of NCAA interests, name, image, and likeness only. We have these extraordinary federal protections and immunities. And there's some other issues that absolutely have to be on the table here because there are civil rights implications in granting the NCAA and Power Five this absolute authority over the regulatory model. And we haven't talked about health and safety. We haven't talked about meaningful compensation or revenue sharing. We haven't talked about who's going to decide. Are the athletes going to have a meaningful seat at the table? So Lindsey Graham just kind of swishes his hand towards Blumenthal and Booker and says, get me something, get me something. That was the genesis for the Athletes' Bill of Rights. It was responsive and it was done after the NCAA and Power Five had set this narrative in Congress that Congress absolutely needed to give everything the NCAA and Power Five wanted. So in December of 2020, they come out with the Athletes' Bill of Rights. And it's so important to look at how this bill was rolled out by Senators Booker and Blumenthal and the way that they characterized it. And it was a civil rights bill. It was designed to address the inequities in the business model, particularly with respect to the labor force that underwrites the entire sports industrial complex. And those are African-American laborers in Power 5 football and men's basketball. It's also important to understand Cory Booker's role here. He has enormous sway and power 
because he is not only one of only three African-Americans in the Senate and can speak to the racial issues with some credibility. He was also an All-American football player at Stanford. So he is uniquely situated to speak on the civil rights issues that are so important to have on the table if you're going to talk about regulating in college sports and you're going to try to do what's right in the business model for the athletes. So Booker really became the standard bearer for the civil rights issues, you know, Blumenthal to a lesser extent. And of course, Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, has been a very powerful advocate on civil rights. And I would say probably the most consistent advocate. He and Lori Trahan, Democrat from Massachusetts in the House, re-released a bill last week as well. But Murphy's advocacy has been so, so important. And again, he has been consistent and practical and I think a really effective leader. But Cory Booker, can speak to the race issues because he's African-American and he does it through a unique set of experiences as a former Power Five profit athlete. So that gives Booker enormous credibility in this discussion. But Booker says, I know firsthand, this is from the press release in December of 2020. He says, I know firsthand that college sports can open doors of opportunity that most young people never knew existed. But the unfortunate reality is that the NCAA is also exploiting college athletes for financial gain and disproportionately exploiting black athletes who are overrepresented in the revenue generating sports. Under its current operation, the NCAA is preventing athletes from earning any meaningful compensation and failing to keep the athletes under its charge healthy and safe, and that needs to change. The College Athletes Bill of Rights will set a new baseline standard to expand protections and opportunities for all college athletes by providing fair and equitable compensation, ensure comprehensive health and safety standards, and improve educational outcomes for college athletes. College athletes deserve better, they deserve justice, and they deserve to share in what they help create. Yes, yes. And I think that You know, Booker's very good at the rhetorical level. I think as this campaign has evolved, the substance hasn't quite matched that. But that's a powerful message, and he's spot on. Senator Booker is spot on right there. But this is done through a civil rights lens, a race-based civil rights lens. And the bill reflects that. So let me just go through the key provisions of the Athletes' Bill of Rights. And I would also say about this bill that this wasn't just a response to what Rubio, Wicker, and ultimately Moran were doing to just kill the athletes' rights movement in their Death Star legislation that gives the NCAA and Power Five everything they want. This was also an affirmative case, and it was an affirmative case rooted in civil rights, social justice, and American freedoms. That last bit from Booker's quote is so important when he says, they deserve to share in what they help create. That is quintessentially American. And this business model that the NCAA and Power Five have falsely portrayed as consistent with American values and they use patriotic themes, it is un-American because it makes a mockery of economic liberty and basic economic freedoms that most Americans take for granted. Booker and Blumenthal were tapping into that. That is an important message. So they had several components. They had revenue sharing to address the economic issues. It didn't give athletes employee status, but it would allow athletes in sports that generated net revenue to get a piece of that revenue. Very similar to the California revenue sharing 
bills. It had meaningful health and safety standards and benefits. There were draconian penalties for the NCAA, the conferences, or the institutions if they failed to adopt those standards and then apply them and enforce them. The bill also required institutions to offer health coverage and medical expenses, out-of-pocket medical expenses for, I think, five years after an athlete used his or her eligibility. And then there was going to be a medical trust fund to cover some of the health care costs associated with long-term athlete injuries, including CTE. So it was really oriented towards trying to put some meaningful measures in place to allow athletes to be protected while they're athletes and then to have access to meaningful medical resources after they graduated. There were meaningful educational benefits. There was meaningful scholarship protection, freedom to choose courses, and then athletic support. Importantly, there was also real teeth in the enforcement apparatus. And you had this federal corporation I'm going to talk about here in a second. But enforcement is such an important piece of this. In the carrot stick equation, this bill had a heavy stick. It was a club. And it was targeted to the NCAA and the Power Five, who in their business model, were not complying with basic principles of fairness and safety. The other thing that was so important about this bill is that it gave athletes a private right of action against the NCAA, the institutions, the conferences, if they violated the terms of this law. That is so, so important. And this is on the other side of the earth from the NCAA. They want to prevent athletes from having any meaningful recourse or any right of action or a meaningful seat at the table. That was a very important provision. Now I want to talk about this crucial question of who gets to decide. And the federal corporation that the Athletes' Bill of Rights put together had nine members. And I'm going to go through some of the provisions here. The nine members were to be appointed by the United States president with the advice and consent of the Senate. And in terms of membership, it says not fewer than five members of the board shall be former college athletes who graduated. And then they identify the expertise that they wanted the membership to bring to the board. They wanted one member that has expertise in sports contracts and publicity rights law, a member that has expertise in constitutional law and freedom of speech, a member that has expertise in communications, a member that is a certified public accountant with expertise in corporate finance audits and compliance investigations, one member with expertise in arbitration, one member with expertise in sports economics, and one member with expertise in civil rights law and compliance with Title IX. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get the experts who really understand these issues at the table to make sure that the decision-making of this federal corporation is carried out in a way that is true to the purpose of the legislation and to American values and civil rights and social justice. And the expertise, I'll note this too, the expertise among the nine members here is the kind of expertise that we should have been seeing in the congressional hearings. But in none of the eight hearings that have been conducted so far, have you had an expert from any of the categories I just listed to you? which shows you the power of the NCAA's lobbying campaign. These hearings have been kabuki theater built around protecting the concept of amateurism, the student-athlete, and the collegiate model, which means protecting the NCAA and Power Five's business interests. And then perhaps as important as having that expertise on the board, this bill excluded 
the decision makers in the NCAA and Power Five. And it says, an individual employed by an institution of higher education who serves on the governing body of an intercollegiate athletic association or conference or receives compensation from an athletic program may not serve as a member of the board. And then they go on. That, that applies to current NCAA Power Five insiders. Then they go on to say, a former commissioner or administrator of an athletic program, association, or conference shall not be eligible to serve on the board. And it's important to to understand why those exclusions were included in this law. First of all, you eliminate the obvious conflicts of interest that exist in the NCAA voluntary regulatory structure. You have people who are primary beneficiaries of this status quo business model, and you want to avoid those conflicts of interest so they don't have a voice. You also have to recognize that, that those are the people, These the people they're excluding are the people who have built this business model that is an exploitation model. So if you want to address the exploitation, you can't have people uh, sitting on this board who are responsible for the exploitation. And then the other thing is, and I think this is a more practical reason, is you don't want people sitting on this board in a bill that's designed to clean up the mess in college sports that these very people created. So it comes back to the, this point that I've made quite a bit in my advocacy and in the podcast, and that is nothing's going to change so long as the people who created this mess are sitting in decision-making chairs being charged with solving it, and they're not. And the other practical reality that's reflected in the exclusion of NCAA insiders is that the NCAA is coming to Congress because it has proven incapable and incompetent of self-regulation. It's refused to do any of the things that they've been promising to do for decades on athletes' interests. And name, image, and likeness chief among them. That debate started in earnest in 2005 with the EA Sports deal, and then the O'Bannon suit. And then we had this whole discussion after SB 206 in California. The NCAA has had to be dragged kicking and screaming, same is true for the Power Five, to any discussion, and then forced to change by external regulatory threats. The reason they're in Congress is to retain the ability to keep screwing the athletes. That's the long and short of it. And this bill, the Athletes' Bill of Rights, recognized all these things and said, no, you don't get a seat at the table. You forfeited your seat at the table. That's the only intelligent response to this business model. A couple other things that I would just want to point out about this bill that are important. Obviously, if you're going to serve on a board like this, it's going to be a full-time job. And I think it's reasonable that the people who are going to be sitting in these decision-making chairs are going to get paid something. But I think Blumenthal and Booker were aware of how ridiculous some of the salaries are in the administrative class, the executive class, in the regulation of college sports. NCAA executives are making money that just can't be justified in the nonprofit world. And then you have these conference commissioners and athletics directors making ridiculous money. And I think they wanted to put a check on that. So they put a salary cap in this bill that said that no member of this commission could be paid more than a Category 4 federal employee. And I think that maximum now is $183,000. This bill was designed to prevent the replication of the NCAA bureaucracy at the federal level. They also had a provision that said that the Freedom of Information Act would apply to the commission. They wanted transparency here, and that's so important too. I also want to note that this bill included group licensing rights for athletes. 
So if a university or a conference or the NCAA was selling a group license, the athletes needed to know about that deal and have an opportunity to be compensated through those deals. And that's something the NCAA does not want. And then a final piece of this that's really important when I can compare this to the Moran bill and then this compromise bill is that this federal corporation was going to have the ability to serve subpoenas. The reason that's so important is that these subpoenas weren't going to be directed to athletes or athlete agents or boosters or all the bad actors that the NCAA so badly wants to bring to heel in their regulation of college sports. The subpoenas were going to be directed to the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the conferences, the institutions, and the individuals that work for those beneficiaries of the business model to make sure they complied with the terms of this law. So now let's take a look at this Jerry Moran bill that came out in February of 2021. And this bill, I've described it as the Death Star for athletes. Why do I say that? Because it contains the three death provisions, the most expansive versions of the three death provisions among bills that have been submitted to Congress right now. It has a sweeping preemption provision that goes far beyond name, image, and likeness laws. It would apply to any state law that regulates in any way the compensation, intellectual property rights, endorsement contracts, employment status, or eligibility for an amateur intercollegiate athletic competition of any amateur intercollegiate athlete, including any provision that regulates the commercial use of their name, image, or likeness. You see the word amateur all over this bill. In fact, the title of the Moran bill is the Amateur College Athletes Protection and Compensation Act of 2023. And it's so important to understand that's how Jerry Moran sees the world. He sees this through the lens of amateurism and protecting amateurism, which means you're protecting the NCAA Power 5 business model and its compensation limits. And everything in his bill is designed to protect those compensation limits and then federalize them to, to make those compensation limits un challengeable. So we have that sweeping preemption provision that takes states completely off the regulatory map. Then we also have the antitrust provision. It's titled limitation of liability. And basically it says that an amateur athletic association conference or institution that complies with the requirements of this act shall not be subject to liability. And they talk about the federal antitrust laws, free competition laws, and other federal and state laws as well. And then we have the no employee provision. And this is a real problem. It's titled Employment Matters and says, notwithstanding any other provision of federal or state law, an amateur intercollegiate athlete shall not be considered an employee of an institution of higher education, a conference, or a national amateur athletic association. I've talked about this. In, in prior episodes, that no employee provision is irrelevant to name, image, and likeness because there can't be an employment relationship in a nil market that prohibits universities from paying athletes for their name, image, and likeness. It can't exist. So why do they include it? Because they don't really care about nil compensation. This is about having a justification for going to Congress to essentially shut down the athletes' rights movement and eliminate all external regulators from the regulatory landscape. And it leaves only the NCAA and Power Five as the sole regulators. That's the point here. Moran's bill throws in some bells and whistles that make it look like he's providing something meaningful. This is not as naked a power grab as the Marco Rubio bill in June of 20 or the Ted Cruz bill that was released in discussion draft just last week. But it serves the same purpose and it throws in what appear to be 
medical benefits that really don't have much value that already exist in the Power 5 landscape through autonomy legislation. And then it throws in a transfer. This was before the transfer rule was formally changed in April of 2021, but it was on the way. So these bells and whistles that distracted from the true purpose of this bill were virtually meaningless. They either already existed for Power 5 schools or they were going to come into to existence in the near future. So now let's look at this critical question of who gets to decide under the Moran Bill from February of 2021. The Moran Bill uses the federal corporation as the governing entity, but puts it to a much different use. And so in talking about who is going to sit in the decision-making chairs, the bill talks about the membership of this federal corporation. And it starts by saying that the eligibility shall be provided in the constitution and bylaws of the federal corporation. So it leaves a lot of discretion in this federal corporation. That's important to understand as well. Then it has a provision titled required provisions for representation. It says this, in its constitution and bylaws, the federal corporation shall establish and maintain provisions with respect to its governance and the conduct of its affairs for the reasonable representation of, one, amateur intercollegiate athletes, two, administrators of institutions of higher education, including directors of athletics, number three, administrators of national amateur athletic associations, four, athletic conference administrators, five professionals with expertise in sports marketing, contracting, and public relations, and then a catch-all, a seat for someone out in the general public. So this federal corporation requires that the NCAA and the Power Five and all the people who created this mess have a seat at the table. And then it talks more specifically about the constitution of the board of directors. The board of directors under Moran's bill would have 15 voting members. And here's what it says. And this is really clever, the way that Moran puts this together, because he has the NCAA insiders kind of identified categorically before he gets to this specific board of directors. And he talks about the athlete representation. And when you read through this, it makes it appear as if this board is going to be dominated by athletes. And that is simply not true. And even if it is, we don't know who those athletes are going to be. And as we know from the NCAA's use of the quote-unquote athlete voice through the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, the athletes who wind up sitting in decision-making chairs so far are athletes that are fully aligned with NCAA values and they come from the NCAA Power 5 culture and way of thinking. It says, representation, in general, not less than one-third of the membership of the board of directors shall be composed of current or former amateur intercollegiate athletes. So a couple of things come to mind. That leaves 10 seats. And when you look at the re required representation in the prior provision, those seats are going to be dominated by NCAA Power 5 insiders. So when you look at the overall composition of this board, the likely composition, it's going to have a majority of Power 5 NCAA insiders. And those athlete slots are, are going to go to athletes, as they always do in this kind of regulatory model, who fully agree with whatever the NCAA and Power 5 want. This replicates the NCAA bureaucracy at the federal level and gives this federal corporation extraordinary discretion and authority to pretty much do whatever the heck it wants to do. So this is a problem. This is a huge problem. And this could not be further removed 
from what the Athletes' Bill of Rights says on that fundamental question of who gets to decide. And in this Moran Bill, an exclamation point on the extent of its deference to the NCAA and Power Five is a subpoena provision. And let me just read this to you to, to get a sense of how NCAA friendly that this thing is. Subpoena power. The federal corporation shall have subpoena power and shall adopt rules that will result in the federal corporation in response to appropriate requests, issuing subpoenas for documents and testimony and compelling deposition testimony at the request of a national amateur athletic association. What does that mean? That means that the NCAA is going to be able to serve subpoenas through this federal corporation. Think about that. The NCAA's infractions and enforcement program that is corrupt from top to bottom has been the subject of criticism, ridicule, congressional ire, proposed legislation, and it is universally viewed as the worst of the worst in the NCAA regulatory structure. Yet, Jerry Moran wants to give the NCAA the authority to compel witnesses and documents to serve their infractions and enforcement process. And the NCAA has long coveted subpoena power. And some advocates, like the Knight Commission for crying out loud, says, oh yeah, let's give the NCAA subpoena power. What the hell are these people thinking? That's putting a pyromaniac in charge of fire safety. The NCAA would go hog wild with that and who are they going to be serving those subpoenas on? It's not just going to be the bad actors, the agents, the boosters, the collectives. It's going to be athletes and athletes' family members and associates. They're going to go hunting with subpoena power. And the athletes would have no recourse. This is essentially giving the NCAA federal police powers, federal law enforcement powers to impose their will with a federal corporation that is stacked with NCAA Power 5 insiders. If you think that's a good idea, then God bless you. God bless you. And the first question that should come to mind is, why the hell would any nonprofit entity need subpoena power for any purpose? And because the NCAA doesn't have subpoena power to force people to give them what they want, they have these draconian cooperation principles that really are a substitute for subpoena power. And they place these obligations on people in the system to either provide information, or if they don't, that's deemed an independent violation of NCAA rules for failure to cooperate, and your guilt is presumed. And most recently, in connection with this transformation committee and the recommendations of this infractions process committee, which is really a Greg Sankey committee, they were giving recommendations to the transformation committee on infractions and enforcement. And one of the things they wanted to do was to expand the cooperation principle, not just to athletes, but to their family and associates. So the infractions process Process committee put together this draft piece of legislation. It hasn't been enacted yet, but I think that it will. It's just a matter of when, not if. That basically says that an athlete or his or her family member or any associates of that athlete would be required to turn over their electronic devices for inspection and review by the NCAA police force to, to look for evidence of wrongdoing. And that if they didn't do that, then the athlete was going to be punished and the school was going to be punished. I mean, that's just breathtaking that the NCAA would even consider a provision 
like that. But if they get subpoena power, that's precisely what they're going to do. That's how these people think. This rogue police force that exists now in the NCAA infractions and enforcement process is essentially going to be deputized at the federal level with subpoena power. And they're going to go in with a wrecking ball approach and just destroy people's lives. That's what they're going to do. And there are no restrictions in Moran's bill on the use of that subpoena power. And the reason that it's so important to, to look at the structure of this Moran bill from 2021 is that that's how he sees the world. That's how he has engaged Congress. That's how he has engaged stakeholders. That's how he drafted his legislation. I don't think that's changed. Moran continued to be an important point person for the NCAA and Power Five. And coming into June of 2021, when the NCAA was going to Congress for last minute preemption, Jerry Moran was right there leading the charge. And there was a hearing in Senate Commerce on June 9th, 2021, that was the preemption only hearing. It was a stacked witness list in favor of preemption. There were six witnesses, five said yes to preemption only one said no. And then a couple days later, on June 14th, Jerry Moran took to the floor of the Senate and delivered an impassioned speech for emergency preemption through his bill. So that's the real Jerry Moran. And I think it's important to just acknowledge that this is where Jerry Moran really lives. And it is not an athlete-friendly place. All right, before I get to this compromise bill that was released 10, 12 days ago, I just want to mention the re-release of the Athlete's Bill of Rights. And this is chronologically. So we had the Athlete's Bill of Rights, if the first version in December of 2020, we have the Moran Bill in February of 2021. Then we have a re-release of the Athlete's Bill of Rights in August of 2022. And the reason that's important is that Booker and Blumenthal took out the revenue sharing component. And that revenue sharing component was so important because it went to the heart of the civil rights issues and the use of black labor in Power 5 football and men's basketball to underwrite the entire sports industrial complex. And the revenue sharing component recognized their economic value and allowed them to enjoy the fruits of their labor as any other American can do in this country. Again, it didn't provide employee status, but that was an important piece. Booker pulled the revenue sharing component and he addressed that at a symposium that the Drake Group held in May of 2022. And his justification for pulling that revenue sharing component, which he didn't want to talk about, this came up in a Q&A, and you haven't heard Booker or Blumenthal emphasize this. And when this re-release came out in their press statements, they didn't mention that the revenue sharing component had been pulled. But the reason that Booker said that he did that was because he was getting pressure from gender equity interests, suggesting somehow that revenue sharing component was going to be terrible for female and Olympic sport athletes. And that's an argument, as I mentioned earlier, that's been recycled in all these congressional hearings. It's a false binary. It's a terrible argument. But Booker fell prey to it, and it speaks to the power of that kind of narrative. So coming into this compromise bill that, that came out recently here, you have the advocates for the Athletes' Bill of Rights already having bid against themselves and taking out one of the most important pieces. And I did an episode on that in May of 2022, and I talked about Booker pulling the revenue-sharing component in conjunction with the death of a California revenue-sharing bill and what it meant in terms of athletes' rights and trying to provide a pathway for them to enjoy the fruits of their labor. That was episode 120, titled California Senate, Cory Booker, Deep Six Athlete Revenue Sharing Proposals. You can check that out. You know, I talked about also this notion of political viability 
and compromise in the legislative process. There's a fine line between compromise and capitulation, and you can decide for yourself when I describe this new bill which of those occurred here. So this new bill is titled the... College Athletes Protection and Compensation Act of 2023, and if that sounds familiar, that's because it's virtually the same title as Moran's bill from February of 2021. But guess what's missing? The word amateur. So in 2021, it was the Amateur College Athletes Protection and Compensation Act. So they pull that. Also in this bill is also interesting that they don't use the term student athlete. They use the term just athlete. So I guess that's a symbolic victory. I don't think it means a whole lot when you look at the actual substance of this. And then when you actually go through this new bill, this compromise bill, it has Jerry Moran all over it, NCAA Power 5 all over it, the definition section, most of the basic provisions on name, image, and likeness compensation and name, image, and likeness contracts. And you don't hear the language. When you read these, when you read this compromise bill, you compare it to the Athletes' Bill of Rights, you don't hear civil rights in this compromise bill. You hear nil. It's nil, nil, nil. And then they have these bells and whistles thrown in, kind of more on, on the order of what Moran had in uh, 2021, not on the order of what the Athletes' Bill of Rights had in 2020. So obviously there's no revenue sharing component. There's no group licensing component. Athletes don't have a private right of action for a violation of this law. And the only remedy that athletes have for violations of the law that harm them is essentially a grievance process through this federal corporation or through arbitration. There's no teeth. The athletes have no private right of action to use legal process to assert their rights, protect their rights, and challenge action by this federal corporation. That is a huge, huge problem for athletes. The NCAA and Power Five aren't the target of meaningful penalties. There really isn't a penalty structure with teeth that puts any pressure on them. And the athletes' interests have really been marginalized here. And before I get to this critical question of who gets to decide. I want to just talk quickly about the athlete benefits. These bills have an athlete benefit section, which leads you to believe that these athletes are getting something new and something better. And I just want to put these in the proper context because a lot of these benefits already exist through Power 5 autonomy legislation in the Power 5 conferences and schools. The way that some of these benefits are means-tested, it looks to me like the income thresholds would result in only Power 5 schools, maybe some of the more affluent group of five schools, having to be bound by some of these benefit requirements, specifically the medical benefits. So I just want to go down this list real quick and then talk a little bit more generally about how these really aren't anything new or anything meaningfully new. So you have degree completion. Under this new bill, they pull the Moran degree completion benefit, and it only applies to athletes who left school early to compete in a professional sport. It is not a blanket degree completion program. And that's a very small pool of people and probably among the least likely to use that benefit. You have a transfer requirement. And I guess that at least locks in the transfer right, the one-time transfer right, 
as a matter of federal law, so the NCAA couldn't pull it. But that already exists. And with respect to these medical expenses, the way this bill is structured, and this was true with the Athletes' Bill of Rights and the original Moran Bill, is that for schools that have gross revenue of $20 million or more, they have to provide out-of-pocket medical expenses and some health insurance coverage for two years for athletes post-eligibility, post-graduation. Then for schools that have gross revenues of $50 million or more, which is kind of the upper-level Power 5 schools, they have to provide those same benefits for four years post-eligibility. Those means-testing requirements really limit the scope of those benefits. And again, they exist already at the Power 5 level. Then we have the health, wellness, and safety standards. Those are new, but again, there's no enforcement of those standards and no meaningful penalties. In fact, under this new bill, the penalty for violating the health and safety standards is that the schools have to pay the medical and academic expenses from any resulting harm. There are no fines. There are no bans for people who violate those provisions. They have financial literacy and life skills training. All Power 5 schools already have that. And before people start applauding all these wonderful benefits as new benefits that are going to dramatically change the lives of college athletes, I think we first need to do some fact-finding here and look at where these benefits already exist and how many people actually use the benefits that already exist. And we have some good evidence on that. And that testimony came from Clemson Athletics Director Dan Radakovich at the July 22nd, 2020 hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee chaired by South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham. And they were asking some questions about the scope of the benefits that Power 5 schools offer. And Radakovich didn't really get a chance to finish all his answers. So senators can ask written questions after the hearing. And it's a common thing in Congress. And they ask their specific questions then the witness has to answer them under oath as if he were giving it in live testimony. Two people asked questions of Radakovich after that hearing. One was Senator Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska, now the president of the University of Florida. And he was asking about some of the insurance products. And then there was another set of questions asked by Cory Booker. And he wanted to know what the benefits were that, that Clemson provided for its athletes. And so Radakovich goes through all of these wonderful things that Clemson provides. Remember, this is in July of 2020, three years ago. And he talks about scholarships and scholarship protection and making sure that the scholarships aren't going to be canceled if an athlete is injured or just decides that he or she doesn't want to play. And he makes a big deal about that. And then he goes on and talks about all the wonderful academic support that athletes get. And then the mentoring and life skills program. And then post-eligibility scholarships, degree completion. And then nutritional guidance. And then medical care. I mean, all these things, if all those things sound familiar, it's because they're on the same list of this new Booker Blumenthal Moran bill. And I just want to point this out. And this goes to the importance of fact-finding on where these benefits already exist, who is eligible for those benefits, and more importantly, how often they are used, how many athletes are actually benefiting from this. And with respect to the post-eligibility medical care, like the provisions in this Booker-Blumenthal-Moran bill, Clemson had a program that was a two-year program that for two years, the, that Clemson would provide medical 
coverage and out-of-pocket expenses and you know anything the athlete needed in terms of medical coverage for two years after their eligibility. And he describes this wonderful program, and then he says this, to my knowledge, we have not had any instances where former student athletes have requested Clemson covered these medical expenses within two years of their eligibility ending. If we were approached by a student athlete to pay these bills outside of the two-year time frame, that is something we would consider on a case-by-case basis. I mean, that's really powerful stuff right there. And it goes to this central point of the practical benefit of all these bells and whistles that Booker, Blumenthal, and Moran are championing now is this great leap forward for athletes' rights. We should do the same analysis, send the same questions to every Power 5 university on all of these benefits, and let's look at who actually is benefiting from that. And I just want to point out that when Richard Blumenthal issued his press statement on this new bill, He championed all these new benefits and how it was going to help the 500,000 student athletes across all three divisions in this great leap forward for athletes. The fact of the matter is that these benefits are going to apply mostly, if not exclusively, to Power 5 athletes because of the means testing and the thresholds that are set at a level where you're really only going to have Power 5, maybe a few group of five schools being required to offer these benefits. And again, they already exist in one form or another. And as Radakovich's testimony shows, they probably aren't used that often. So let's get that on the table. Let's do that fact-finding before we get all jacked up about these new benefits. So I want to just go through this who gets to decide issue, because that's really the most important. But when I first read this compromise proposal that just came out, I was shocked. Honestly, I was shocked to see the extent to which Booker and Blumenthal capitulated on the probably the most important question in this entire debate, and that's who gets to decide. Why do I say that? Because the formation and structure of the federal corporation that would control college sports under this new proposal is taken verbatim from the Jerry Moran bill. So it includes NCAA Power 5 insiders. It requires their inclusion and doesn't address any of the conflict of interest issues. And it is designed to replicate the NCAA bureaucracy at the federal level. It incorporates the NCAA Power 5 view of the world. And I just wonder, how did this happen? How did this happen? And now I want to talk about provision in this new bill, the compromise bill, that is so disturbing that it's difficult to put into words. But one of the authorities of this corporation that's going to be set up is subpoena power. And remember, in the Athletes' Bill of Rights, the subpoenas were going to be directed to the NCAA and Power 5 to try to keep them in line and make sure they comply with a bill that was truly oriented towards athletes' rights and civil rights. Then we had the Moran Bill that was on the exact opposite end of that spectrum that was going to give the NC freaking double A subpoena power for documents and witnesses. You cannot reconcile those two provisions. They offer such different views of the regulatory model in college sports that there's simply no middle ground to even discuss, okay? So what does this new compromise bill do? It pulls in verbatim Jerry Moran's subpoena power provision from his February 2021 bill that was designed to end the athletes' rights movement. I want to read it again for you. Subpoena power, and this is from the new bill. The federal corporation shall have 
subpoena power and shall adopt rules that will result in the federal corporation in response to appropriate requests, issuing subpoenas for documents and testimony, and compelling deposition testimony at the request of a national intercollegiate athletic association. And the way this provision is drafted, the only entity in the regulation of college sports that has the authority to request a subpoena is the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Athletes don't have it. Collectives don't have it. Agents don't have it. Boosters don't have it. Institutions don't have it. Conferences don't have it. The only entity that can initiate a subpoena is the NCAA. It makes me wonder, when they were putting together this compromise bill and they were doing the cutting and pasting, did anybody on the Booker-Blumenthal side of the table read the frickin' bill, for crying out loud? There is no way that you can allow this provision in a piece of legislation, even if you are in the tank for the NCAA. This provision is so far out of bounds, given the NCAA's history of abusing its infractions and enforcement process. I mean, we're talking North Korea-style tactics. This provision explicitly adopts that view of the NCAA's regulatory authority and makes it a matter of federal law. And because this provision was pulled from the original Moran bill in 2021, It is also a window into how Jerry Moran actually sees these issues. If Jerry Moran has really moved towards the middle on these issues, he doesn't propose this subpoena provision. He takes it out and says, that was a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. And I can't support it. That would have been the honorable thing to do if you really want to meet in the middle. But this is way out there. And there wasn't any pushback to that. So not only is this not a civil rights bill, this is an anti-civil rights bill because this provision allows the NCAA to trample the civil rights of the people that are going to be subject of those subpoenas. And the most likely recipients of these subpoenas are going to be African-American athletes in football and men's basketball and their families and associates, just like the NCAA expressed in those recommendations from the Infractions Process Committee to the Transformation Committee. That's the way they think about these issues. So before we start talking about subpoena power for the NCAA, maybe we should hold a couple of hearings to look at who has borne the brunt of the NCAA's absurd un-American infractions and enforcement process. This is anti-civil rights. And then it also raises another conflict of interest issue because the way this governing uh, board is structured and the required membership for the federal corporation, NCAA insiders and Power 5 insiders are going to be reviewing the subpoena requests from the NCAA. (laughs) No conflict there. And to highlight the absurdity of including this subpoena provision, particularly through the lens of Cory Booker's engagement in these issues, is that Cory Booker, of all people in the United States Senate, should know how corrupt the NCAA infractions and enforcement process is, and that if they have additional infractions and enforcement authorities, they're going to abuse them, just like they abuse the ones that they have right now. And the reason I say that is that in March of 2022, Cory Booker, along with Marsha Blackburn, the Republican senator from Tennessee, introduced a bill that was the Senate version of a House bill introduced a year earlier. And that bill is titled the NCAA Accountability Act. What was the purpose of that law? To bring the hammer down on the NCAA's corrupt infractions and enforcement apparatus. And this bill 
like its House Companion a year earlier, would have essentially put the NCAA infractions and enforcement process under the supervision of the Department of Justice. And they were going to be held to a very high standard with very high penalties for violating the due process rights and other rights of people who find themselves in the crosshairs of NCAA infractions and enforcement cases. And when this bill came out, Senators Blackburn and Booker issued their press release that that happens with all legislation that comes out. Here's what Cory Booker said. The NCAA has nearly absolute authority to investigate and punish member institutions and athletes who are accused of violating the association's rules. The process currently in place where decisions are made behind closed doors, where investigations drag on for years, and where accused parties aren't given adequate notice of their supposed violations, has gone on far too long. The NCAA Accountability Act would bring a new level of transparency, consistency, and fairness to a flawed process and is a critical first step towards justice for schools and athletes. Okay? Yeah, he's spot on. He's absolutely right. So how in the world, a year later, can he justify granting the NCAA subpoena power to do whatever the hell it wants to trample the rights of athletes. And and there are a couple of aspects of this National Accountability Act that I, I think are really important to point out. One is that athletes would have a private right of action if they got screwed by the NCAA In an enforcement and infractions case where they were denied their basic rights as Americans and not granted some due process rights, the athletes would have the right to go to federal court and sue the NCAA for violating the act and perhaps other claims as well. And that's as it should be. And then the other thing this National Accountability Act does is that it would provide a way for subpoenas to be served on the NCAA and the Power Five and the institutions to investigate whether they are complying with this law. So the subpoena power is going in the right direction, in my judgment, towards the people who created this mess and this corrupt process, not to the people who are victims of that. And that's what this new bill does, the Booker-Blumenthal-Moran bill that just came out. That basically is a one-way street that buys into all the NCAA and Power Five's regulatory authority propaganda and this belief that they're on the righteous side of amateurism and the student-athlete and the collegiate model, and they need to have whatever tools are necessary to bring the bad actors to heel, including athletes who don't fall in line with the NCAA's view of the world. I mean, these two philosophies are irreconcilable, and Cory Booker's involved in both of them. And I don't think anything has happened since March 29th of 2022 that makes the NCAA's infractions and enforcement process any less corrupt. So this is your compromise, Senators Booker and Blumenthal. This is meeting the other side in the middle. This is bipartisanship. I don't see that. And on this compromise capitulation spectrum, I think we're well on the side of capitulation. I guess you could say, well, you know, this bill doesn't have the athletes can't be employees provision. It doesn't have an explicit antitrust immunity provision. And the preemption provision is really limited to name, image, and likeness. That's true. 
So it's less direct than Moran's original bill or these other bills like the Cruz bill. But look at what it does. Look at what it sets the stage for. And I've been saying that right now, all the NCAA and Power Five want is to get their foot in the door. The Republicans want to get their foot in the door. And if they can cross this Rubicon of Congress's historical reluctance to get involved in the substantive regulation of college sports, that's a massive victory. And this has a nice, appealing, bipartisan face. It's a bill that if Maria Cantwell comes out and says, yeah, I'm behind it too, man, that's a problem. But this is just setting the stage. But it solves the most important issue right now in the short run, and that is who gets to decide. And it is the NCAA and Power Five under this new bill. It raises the question to me, who are Booker and Blumenthal listening to now? Who are they talking to? And they've been very coy about that. Some journalists asked Blumenthal to identify the athletes that he had spoken to, and he declined to do that, claiming privacy concerns. That doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. At least tell us what sport they play, what level they play, what conference they're in, and whether they're male or female, black or white. You could give us that information. And Cory Booker has been kind of coy, too. He's been talking to the National College Players Association that Ramogi Huma runs. And Huma has been plugged into this, and he's testified in these eight hearings. And he testifies again and again. He's been effective, and he's done some important stuff on athletes' rights. But he has said that this bill is a great step forward. I don't see that. I just don't see that. So it just raises the question of what the hell is going on behind the scenes. And I said from the very beginning of this congressional engagement, and actually Senator Murphy, Chris Murphy said this at a symposium. He said, look, when you go to Congress and you're in the legislative process, you're in the funhouse, you don't know what the hell is going to happen. And you might wind up with a bill that simply doesn't solve the important issues. And he's absolutely right. But what I fear going forward here particularly given the fact that you have advocates who have been civil rights advocates for African-American athletes like Booker, like Huma, seeming to be okay with this. Obviously, Booker is okay with it. But I think if those people say, yes, this is a good thing, we're okay with this, then a lot of people are going to fall in line and say, well, if they're okay with it, then it must be okay. And it is not okay. It's not even close to being okay. And this highlights the need for athletes to own their own voice, to understand these issues. And that's what we're trying to do with this project we're going to be launching here is to get directly to athletes so they understand this and they can hear an opposing viewpoint because what they're getting is that something's going to happen and it's going to be good for them if Congress makes a decision and gets involved and passes a piece of legislation. There's not a single piece of legislation that addresses the fundamental issues in the business model. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about just to kind of close this thing out. What does this mean? And what it means, I think, is a couple of things. First, it means that the civil rights issues have basically been taken off the table. The race-based civil rights issues are dead. They have been buried by this compromise bill and Booker's movement over the course of this legislative debate closer and closer to the way that the NCAA and Power Five see the world. So this is not a civil rights bill. It's not a social justice bill. It is an NCAA Power Five nil bill. And the other thing that's important about this is this really reinforces the fact that Congress should be involved. So we're not having the question of whether Congress should be passing legislation that protects the interests of private nonprofit entities like the NCAA and the Power Five. We're not having that discussion. We never had that discussion. And the NCAA and Power Five were so good at leaping over that fundamental threshold question by hitting the ground running in their congressional campaign through their powerful lobbyists. And we still haven't had that discussion. So it's not a question of whether, it's a question of how and 
when. The other thing that's so important about this is that this legislation, and actually none of the legislation that has been proposed by athlete-friendly interests in Congress, House or Senate, none of them challenge the basic business model. So they assume the legitimacy of amateurism and no pay for play. They assume NCAA and Power Five's view of what the recruiting market ought to look like and the propriety or impropriety of recruiting inducements. They have punted on revenue sharing. There's virtually no accountability, meaningful accountability for the NCAA and Power Five, no meaningful penalties for bad actor behavior by the NCAA and Power Five. And most importantly, most importantly, there's not a meaningful athlete voice. So on the backside of whatever happens in the fall, if Congress finally crosses that barrier and passes a piece of substantive legislation, it's going to be built around amateurism, the student athlete, and the collegiate model. So all we're doing now, really, is just nibbling around the edges. That's all we have ever done when it comes to the business model in college sports, the regulation of college sports, and the interest of athletes. You nibble around the edges. Autonomy legislation did that. The athletes got a few extra things that really didn't rise to the level of a tip that a waiter might get. We have not had an intelligent conversation about the truth of the business model. And what's happened in Congress over the last three years and this inexorable magnetic draw towards the NCAA and Power Five value system and business model is playing out right here in in real time. And there's no meaningful change in in this legislation. And it's not going to come from Congress. They don't think that way, particularly when 88 of the 100 senators are white. And they're rich and white and mostly white males. This is a perfect NCAA Power 5 audience, which is why they went to the Senate in the first place, where they started in the Senate. And Cory Booker could not be more of an outlier in the United States Senate for a variety of reasons. And his outlier status in this context makes him a very powerful spokesperson. So I don't know. The other thing I, I would observe is that with all of the athletes' rights advocates in the Senate, Having proposed legislation that really doesn't do much to change the business model, and if this Booker-Blumenthal-Moran bill is viewed as a legitimate, compromised, bipartisan bill, who the hell is going to ask the tough questions? Who is going to challenge what's in those bills? I don't think anybody. There are some very, very important questions that should be on the table and that legislators like Booker and Blumenthal should be answering. And yeah, they're asking for feedback. And I think they they want the feedback in by August 20th. I think I may just send them the link to this episode. I don't think they're going to enjoy it very much. And even if they agree with it, I don't know if it's going to result in any meaningful change. These decisions are being made behind closed doors, and we don't know who the hell is influencing those decisions. And that's a problem with our democracy. But in this case, I think it would be fair to ask those people who they're talking to, what they've heard, and whether they feel that this bill is the best that they can do. And maybe that's how they're viewing it. That's how people think in D.C. It may not be perfect, but it's better than it was before, and it's the best that we can do. Of all the bad options, this is the best bad option. (laughs) But if you're thinking about it that way, maybe you should say, and this is what I think should happen, say, we're going to put a moratorium on any discussion in Congress about regulating in college sports. We simply haven't done our fact-finding. We haven't done the hard work to really look at what the this business model is all about. We haven't gotten the expert testimony. We haven't gotten the athlete voice. And to pass legislation under those circumstances is irresponsible in my judgment. And on that point, and this is the last point I want to make, 
there's a hell of a lot going on in the business of college sports right now. And we are on the precipice of some breathtaking new revenue streams. So we have conference realignment coming up and we're moving more and more towards an NFL light kind of product in college football. And we've been moving on this train since Board of Regents. You know, this is going to be the logical endpoint of Board of Regents and the dominance of Power 5 football in the college sports marketplace and now in the overall sports marketplace because this product is going to be competing with the NFL, which is the most popular sports product in the country right now. And the Power 5 or what's going to be the Power 2 or 3 are purposefully structuring the college football marketplace to emulate the NFL to have the same fan base as the NFL and the same engagement level and the same broadcast media firepower and impact. So it's a conscious effort that's going on right now. And we don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be the most professionalized product that the market can bear. The athletes should have a seat at the table in what that final product looks like and what their relationship is going to be to the overseers, the overlords in that professionalized product. We also have sports betting coming onto the scene. You know, Charlie Baker tried to normalize sports betting at this Arizona symposium that was held in June when the NCAA and Power 5 launched their assault on Washington, D.C. And he's like, yeah, sports betting is coming. We need to be thinking about it. (laughs) I I did an episode on that. I'm not going to talk about it again. I think it was the last episode. But you now have, you have Brett Yormark, who is saying, yeah, you know, the Big 12 is looking at sports betting. And experts have opined, people who are in the sports betting market and what its value is and, and how it has exploded since the Supreme Court's decision in 2018 that struck down the federal anti-gambling law. So you have all these states getting into the space. The sports betting deals, these data collection deals where they strip mine data of college athletes and sell it to corporations in the sports betting space. That has an enormous market value, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars for a Power Five conference. So we got that coming down the line. We have new technologies that are opening up that are really unlimited in terms of exploiting revenue streams, creating new revenue streams, finding new ways to engage fans to increase the value of the college sports marketplace. All of these things are happening right now, yet the United States Congress wants to lock in athletes' rights in a 1950s business model that treats them as second-class citizens. And if that law is passed, this is another thing that Chris Murphy said, and he's so, so right about this. If a piece of legislation is passed, there's no turning back. It may be hard to get this piece of legislation passed, but if it is passed, it's here for good. So we're going to lock the athletes' rights in a 1950s business model while we are in perhaps one of the most transformative periods in the nature and scope of the college sports marketplace. If you care about athletes' rights, you pull the plug on this right now and you say, nothing's going forward. There's nothing on the table here that solves the issues. There's nothing on the table here that's going to lead to athletes having more benefits and more protections. So we're not going to screw things up right now just to uh, appease the NCAA and Power Five's uh, three-year-long campaign of lobbyists and lawyers and public relations people. Let's see how this stuff plays out. And then maybe we can do some intelligent fact-finding and get some people to speak to these issues who may have a different view than the people who have dominated the discussion since 2019. I think that's where we need to be right now. So, Senator Blumenthal, you put this proposal out and you asked for feedback. Well, that's my feedback. That's my recommendation. Do no harm. 
You know, first, do no harm. Roger Wicker used that line to suggest that any athlete-friendly legislation was going to ruin college sports. Well, I may agree with him on that. Any legislation, whether it's from the Republican side or the Democrat side, the NCAA side or the athletes' rights side, is going to do harm right now because there's nothing on the menu that solves the issues or makes any sense for athletes. So my advice, my suggestion, my feedback is press pause. Come out with a statement. You and Cory Booker and the other co-sponsors, and maybe you can get some NCAA Power 5 senators to agree with you on this and make that the bipartisan solution to do nothing right now so we don't screw this thing up and we don't screw athletes any more than they're already being screwed. So with that, I'm going to close this thing out. And I want to thank you so much for joining. It's always an honor and a privilege to have you. And I hope to have you back for the next episode of the Big Amateurism Monologues. Take care. 